I'm Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. How the devil are you? What? Two episodes? Two episodes in the same week, Craig? Well, it's the penultimate episode. So yeah, two episodes. And what a cracking one we had earlier this week with the comedian Joe Wilkinson. What a total delight he is. I'm so pleased you enjoyed it. Now, you know, I've always said over the years that it's all about timing, getting our guests. Well, the penultimate guest, this week's guest, this week's second guest, um, is the writer Cash Carraway. And we worked out when we were talking, I don't know if it was on or off mic, that it had been four years in the making um, through one thing and another. We just couldn't get it together. But the timing is perfect. The timing is right. And I'm so pleased she welcomed me around to her house. And, uh, and this is the result. Now, I I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I'm doing research on the guests, because I don't want notes to hand, I want to make sure there's eye contact, that we're having a good conversation and, you know, we're connecting. There's no point me looking down at my notes because we're, we're not connecting. Um, so what I always do is I, I think, right, well, I've got a, a starting point and then hopefully that'll bounce on to other parts of the person's life or their career and we can work it out from there. Um, and I've got little points that I can pull from, from the research. So the way that this episode starts is I was going to read a small passage from Cash's book and that's where it starts. So it, it'll take you a bit of time to understand what's going on and then you will. So I talk about... We Well, actually, we don't talk about her book, Skin to State, that much, but we kind of do at the same time. You'll get it, you'll understand. And more recently, you will have seen Cash's work um, on HBO in the States and BBC here in the UK. The brilliant show that she wrote, created, show ran. Uh, it's called Rain Dogs. It's, um, it's won lots and lots of awards all around, um, and it's brilliant. It stars uh, Daisy May Cooper and uh, the fantastic Jack Farthing, who we do speak about. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on BBC iPlayer and HBO now. Do it, do it, do it. Um, and Cash is nominated this year as a BAFTA breakthrough artist, um, which is well-deserved, and we get into it. The only time she kind of shies away. We don't like compliments on this show, do we? Anyway, let's... Let's do it. This is the penultimate episode of the Two Shot Podcast, and I'm thrilled. I really am. I'm thrilled to welcome the brilliant Cash Carraway. Enjoy. I'll see you at the end. Tell me, tell me why this is the horrible version. It's the horrible version because um, they changed loads of lines. Um, with, so with or without your permission? Without my permission, because they'd, they'd misunderstood what they were. So there's this one line where I'm talking about a really dark moment, actually, like feeling really suicidal. And the line is, I was between a rock and a heartbeat. Yeah, I, re- Which, I remember that line. <laughs> right. I remember that line because 
only a few days ago what I did. I didn't have time to sit down and physically reread it, even though I've read it twice, but it was a long time ago. Twice. So oh. I, I listened to the audio book. Right, okay. So it was and I remember that line pinging out a rock and a heartbeat like two days ago. Oh good. Yeah. I mean that was the idea. It was like a twist on, you know Yeah, and it's a, that was a very dark moment. It's a very yeah, very dark moment. And the, they changed it to, they they thought that I didn't realise that the same was between a rock and a hard place. Because that's how thick oh my <laughs> the publisher God. thought I was. So, yeah, so it got changed. And I, the only time I, when I noticed that it had been changed is when I was doing the audio. And I was going through it, I was like, I didn't, that's not what I wrote. That's not what I wrote. So, yeah. Well, it, so, yeah, that, and also, can I have a look? Yeah, but I think this is, I, I think this is like one of the first editions or certainly yeah, the first time it came out. I remember be... when I picked it up. Yeah. But it's well worn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm honoured. Yeah. It's the. Um... We're just. We're just talking. I'm just here with um, my lovely guest, Cash Carroll. We're just talking about a uh, memoir, Skin Estate, which I'm going to sort of go on to and say to Cash that we're not actually going to talk about it that much. Oh, thank God. Because, you know, I, I'm very well aware um, of, of, you know, People's lives and moments being reduced to poverty porn, and this is not a poverty porn podcast, and I don't want it to be. But I do want to, I do want to read a couple of bits. Oh, do you? Would you mind if I did? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to see me cringe. Well, no, it's not. It's kind of important, I think. Um, But I don't think there'll be the bits that you're expecting, and I think it's. I think it's quite a good intro yeah do yeah for, sure for people listening who who won't have read it well what i was saying the reason i was saying it's the horrible version is because mm. it like i didn't write a poverty porn book no you didn't the original well i mean i feel like this i feel like it became one but like the original manuscript was very much um a sort of celebration of the gutter it was the it was fun mm. and it was really quite different to the final manuscript that ended up in here because I was sort of forced to put all this stuff about politics in there. Yeah. I didn't really know about it. So there's like there's there's these extra 20,000 words that don't need to be there, which is just me going, oh, I hate the Tories. Oh, I really hate the Tories. And without that, the actual manuscript is, is really quite beautiful. It's a real... They thought it was too... It was like glamorising poverty. So they were like, we can't actually sell this book unless we make it possible to, for people to learn from it. And also have some sort of political angle. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know anything about politics. And they were like, well, you know, who do you vote for? And I'm like, well, you know, at this point in time, Labour, if, if there was an election, I would, I would vote Labour. And they're like, we say that, say that. And it just, they basically added on to the end of every sentence or made me add on to the end of every sentence. Oh, but I bloody hate the Tories. And it just becomes really repetitive and takes away all the art from it. And then also on this edition, this this hardback edition, the the blurb just makes me sound really pathetic. Like it takes away any kind of autonomy of me writing the book. You wouldn't think I'd written the book. You'd think that someone had written a book about me. And I said, there was a lot, I can't find it here, but it was... It said something like, um, Cash Carraway lives in temporary accommodation. Um, She's a single mum. She's been, um, what was the line? It was something awful. She's been trapped in the system since she was 16. And I was like, this is not true. Yeah. Like, first of all, I wasn't living in temporary accommodation when the book was released. I was living in a council flat. And also, what, what does it even mean, trapped in the system 
since she was 16. I was like, yeah. well, that's not a thing. Like, when you're 16, you're a grown adult. Like, it makes it sound like I was in care. And it was it was just really weird. Like, oh, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put it out like that. That's that's how we're going to sell books. And I was like, this is, you know, it's wrong. Well, exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. That's how we're going to sell books. Yes. Because that's their angle. Yes, exactly. And so whenever I see someone hold a copy, this, this hardback copy, I always just feel like, oh. Oh, no, I feel print. we've started. I feel I've... I've I've brought a, a storm cloud into the. No, you haven't home. at all, because it's 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 such a thing from the past. Like, yeah, like I have really mixed feelings towards the book because I feel like it was really misrepresented. Right. Plus, I was investigated for literary fraud by the Guardian. Yeah. <laughs> which was really fucking yeah. scary. Um, and but it also changed my life in such a great way because. It was my step, it was my foot in the door to television, which is I'd been trying and trying to get a TV show off the ground for twenty years. Yeah, and I know Skin Estate didn't get made in the end, but it was my route in. It was my way to do it. So you know, and we all need a route in. Well, yes, maybe maybe I shouldn't read from it. What bits? What bits are you going to read? Well, it was it was something that I thought was very important, which was just the author's note. Mm. Because that's authentic to me. That's it. I, they well, didn't I, change that. Well, that's the thing one is, thing I hope, hope, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if I have picked uh, the the authenticity here, which was the author's note at the start. Hmm. And then it was the last sort of three paragraphs of... Okay, that's of, interesting. Of, ...of the book, which doesn't really, I don't think... See, see that is authentic. Hmm. The... But it, it wasn't in the original manuscript and it wasn't a sort of message that I was trying to put out there. It was the editor had said, oh, you sort of need to sum up how you feel. So, you know, and that's what editors do, isn't it? They throw yeah. a suggestion your way and sometimes yeah. it's right, sometimes it's wrong. Personally, I didn't want the last line of my book. The first line of the book is namaste, smeared in shit. Mm. And I think that's a quite bold, exciting opening for a book. And for the final line to be, imagine if we all spoke up together, for me sounds a little bit weak. And if it sort of feels like what I was, the, the sort of position I was forced into, which was they wanted an activist. And I didn't, I don't see myself as an activist, never see myself as an activist, but they wanted this mouthy activist who was speaking up for women in poverty. However, mm. I do think it was real what I felt, what I wrote. And I do believe in what, what I said there. Yeah. But for me, it's just not the dynamic end to the book that I wanted to write. Well, the joy about this podcast is we can chop and change as we go. We will not. Oh, no, but you can. I don't you know. I just thought it was really important because it didn't signal any of your worries throughout the book of it turning into poverty porn at all. And oh, that's it was good. more, however you speak, we've all got a voice. And hmm. I think... And I do believe in that. Uh, well, I know. That's why I believe in it. And yeah. I think it's something that has come up on this podcast over the six years right. about solidarity and, yeah, and, yeah. and having a voice and asking questions yes. are very, very important. Yeah. But maybe we'll believe that till the end. Whatever you or, want. Or, yeah, it's your podcast. Or, or maybe... No, 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 no. Because it's not about me. It's about you, oh, Cass. Today it's our podcast. I'm just going to have a nice drink of my tea. That yeah, you go for it. I hope it's not too strong. No, it's perfect, actually. So, Cash, tell me, how how do you feel about podcasts? Do you listen to them? Yeah, I do, actually, yeah. I love Adam Buxton's podcast. Yeah. Um, why, do you, that, why do you love, say, you know, pick Adams in particular? Is it because you get to learn more 
about the person. Yeah, and I feel sort of invested in Alan Buxton because I've been a fan of his since I was a teenager. Mm. So I feel like I've gone on this journey with him, I suppose. Um, and, I, and I will. that's probably the only podcast I'll listen to where I don't necessarily have to know of or particularly like the guest. I'll, I'll just listen to it consistently, you know, yeah. Jim. But there's others I sort of dabble in and out of. I'm... I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, I listen to some. Because there's a lot out there. There's a lot, yeah. Can I just ask, is your little purple light on there? Yeah. Can, oh, that's good. Oh, good. I'm just double-checking. I'll keep an eye. It's one thing, when I don't have my producer with me, it's one thing I always don't double-check. Yeah. If I don't do that, then we're not recording. Okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it's it for good. you. It's fine. But are you, are you um, I know you've done an interview about ending the podcast, but mm. do you feel that you were giving something to the podcast world? Because you, you, know, you said it was, like, saturated. Do you feel that it was... You'd had um, your time? I, I think so. I mean, I suppose... Not that this is about me. You're very good at turning it around. That was good. That was good. <laughs> but... It's a conversation, though. No? It is a conversation, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. But I suppose it's about not having any expectations. Because um, I've always said, you know oh, well, I don't really know what I'm doing yet. Mm. So if you're willing to come on the sort of learning journey, maybe we can do it together. And if one person listens, that that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I've got out of it, I mean, the, the the things that I've got out of it are so long I couldn't even begin to start. Mm. But there's a richness in human connection and yes. learning and listening to people's stories and just there's a great skill i think i'm not saying i have a great skill but there is a great skill of never having met somebody before never having spoken to Mm. somebody before and all of a sudden you hit record and you're just talking with somebody It's, it's it's not stilted it's a flowing conversation i know people who have been in my life for many a year who can't have a rally of conversation and right. they've known each other for a long, long time right, okay. because they're not inquisitive. Well, you, they know too much about each other already. There's, yep. there's no more questions to ask. Well, possibly, but there's always questions to ask. There's always, how are you? Yeah. How's things? How's work? How are you? No, how are you? Yeah. How am I? Yeah. Um, pretty good. Good. Pretty good. I was talking to you before. I have... It's not that I don't like Christmas. It's that I feel an internal sense of anxiety around Christmas, the yeah. pressure of the end of the year, and also, and I'm going to sound like some sort of curmudgeon here, but I'm not. I'm quite a nice, happy man. But uh, forced jollity, I found, I find yeah. quite difficult. Yeah. You know? yeah, I find it difficult just because the end of the year, if you haven't achieved everything that you would have hoped to have achieved, you feel there's a lot of pressure, mm. and there is the pressure to be happy. And you know, I used to find Christmas like awful. I used to absolutely hate it. Only in the last, like, well, my daughter's nearly like she'll be fourteen next year. Like the last fourteen years, I found it like nice. Yeah. Because there's a there's a reason to celebrate it. There's- and also, it's I feel sometimes because my son's twelve that the pressures, the pressures on in a certain way, but it's off in another way because the spotlight turns on to them ah, it's about yes. them isn't it absolutely yeah so yeah. i do like that aspect so you're excited about christmas i'm excited about christmas this year good yeah good it's difficult with uh, broken families i suppose yeah you know, yeah you, you i did say this to you before but you you put the radio on all the adverts are about all families coming together and having the greatest time 
but you know, I want to hear an advert or see an advert on the telly where it's great for about an hour and somebody's really getting on your wick and you need to go to the other room and just scoff them <laughs> which in is the pie, truth of it, which isn't is it? the truth of it, and calm down and go, I can't believe Auntie So and So is going to pop round in a minute. Real families hate each other, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth of it. Yeah. And so you were talking about podcasts. Like, what, um, what, what, what podcast do you listen to, and what sort of inspired like this one? I think what inspired this one is. I think um, terrible journalism. Oh, God, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and also um, people that don't listen. Right. Because as an actor, you know, that's 90% of our job is to listen. We mm. have to be very, very good listeners to be in the moment, which yeah. is the spark of having a great conversation is because yeah. you're listening. Um, and I found that the long-form interview conversations that I was hearing on a podcast it's very very different with radio isn't it because you know they've got they've got a seven minute window they've got a 12 yes. minute window something like that and they're there to do a job they're there to sell a tv show or a yeah. film or a book or whatever and that's what they have to try and get across i was excited to not have surface level conversations yeah. like what you have on a set which you kind of have to because yeah. it's like you sit down you get a cup of tea right the Sparks have done their job. You're back on set. It looks brilliant. It's time for you to do your job. So I just thought to not talk about acting with actors is a good entry point for me because it's kind of what I know. Yes. And then I can move on to poets and musicians and writers. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of creative people to see how that... And I've, I've always interested in hearing about someone's like creative process. Not necessarily like the intricacies of it, but just sort of the struggles that they come across along the way and to hear that someone doesn't find something easy is always, mm. always really interesting to hear. But you said something about journalists and how there's, there's bad journalism out there. Like, you know, we know that. Like, have you ever been, like, misquoted? N- uh, not that it's had... Not that it's had any effect that I've been really bothered right. about it. But I know some people in my game that it has Mm -hmm. and it's they feel that they came across in a very very different way to what they were in the room with the journalists but then again you know I've had great interviews I know some fantastic people that interview people but I also know people that have as you know we're just here looking at each other having a cup of tea and hopefully soon to be scoffing a donut Um, (laughs) but they have a list of questions and they spend a lot of time just with the head down, with mm. zero eye connection, yeah, going yeah. through the questions that you've already been asked by yeah. another journalist 20 minutes ago, and you know full well they haven't really watched it. No. Oh, no. Or they've watched, like, half an episode yeah, whilst playing around their yeah, they've read. They've read a synopsis. They know who's in it. Oh, yes, that annoys, yes. And all they like want to do is talk about the job that you did before that. Really. Yes, or their opinion of you. which is a false opinion that's come from something that another journalist misquoted you with and the cycle just keeps on going on. Lazy journalism, really, because they're just just nicking it off other people. But also what's started to happen, just connecting it with podcasts, I don't know if you've been aware of this, that um, somebody will say something, I mean... In, hopefully interesting or controversial on a podcast and then a paper oh, nicks that story yeah. and takes away all context takes away all <laughs> context and then go we've heard that this and then they don't 
quote the source. Do they do they call you for a quote ever? No, no, they yeah. just they just listen to things like this, right, right, and then nick it. And when that's really well, apart from being unethical, it's completely unprofessional. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and 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 rude to the art of the podcast as well because obviously you've done this long form interview, you've taken the time to get to know someone in in the hour that you spend with them. But maybe they don't see it as as an art form or any sort of have any sort of journalistic. Yeah, I think actually merit. the problem I find with journalists is this going to be like a whole podcast slagging off journalists? I, could well be. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> this is just our opinion. <laughs> is that they were just like. They, they they take everything so literally and there's never any sort of art or humour taken behind it. And I think especially for working class writers and actors, everything always sounds so bloody twee and, and, and pathetic because they've taken... You might, you might say something really funny about... You know, it made a really dark joke about abuse or something, about being about something tragic that happened to you yeah. in the past. And you'll say it in a funny way and it will be boiled down to this really sad sentence. But again, we were talking about angles before with the book. Yeah. That's their angle. Especially if we're looking at working class actors or writers or anybody Mm. in, uh, you know, a a middle to upper class world. Mm. They want to go with that angle of... Well, they were brought up in a gutter. Isn't they it are so, so sad. difficult? But look at them now. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's a very strange, very strange thing. So tell me, when we were talking about the book at the start, mm. we were talking about 20 years of treatments and mm. ideas that first started. What sort of piqued your interest at the very start, if we can go right back, of just putting pen to paper or opening up that laptop? Why Why did you feel stories need to be told? I think, like, it was... For me, it was something... It's not a very interesting answer, unfortunately, but it was something that was very instinctive. I spent... My childhood was very strange. Mm. And for the first, like, six or seven years of my life, I was in hospital a lot, Um because I had, like, um, childhood arthritis. Which I had never... I'd, I mean, it was obviously, it might be my lack of knowledge, but I'd never heard of that until no. I read it in the book. Yeah, it's quite a rare... It's, it's Well, I don't know. Is it rare? I don't know. It's, it's an autoimmune mm. illness. And um, I was really, really quite ill with it. And I felt like I was always sort of observing from a hospital bed because I couldn't walk properly. Like or you know, sat in a pram, or you know, as a you know, the six-year-old sat in a pram. That's yeah. quite weird. So you're sort of looking at the world in a different way. And and you know, I come from a Irish family, and yeah, we are working class. But the thing with the Irish is that there's always stories being told. Sorry, am I doing no, my low, right. am I low no, talking no, I'm again? Just, I'm just moving that mic <laughs> a bit closer. That's all. Um, there's there's always you know, folklore stories being told. Um, and I guess this is going to... I mean, this, everything has always come for me from a very dark place. And I don't mean a traumatic place. I mean, like, finding interest in dark things. Yeah. And I remember the first time I ever really got, like, a laugh for something I'd written. It's always it's always when you make someone laugh, isn't it? That, that sort of you know, sparks it up. But I think it's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. That's why I think... I always say... I was having an interview with somebody the other day and they said, oh, what... What would you like to do next? And I said, well, 
I'm always so excited whenever something drops into my email, into my email that I've never read before. That's really exciting. Yeah, like, of course. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I believe, apart from comedy, which is like my first love, which I think is very, very difficult to get right, I think the romantic comedy genre oh. is really hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And when you see something that is truthful and funny and romantic yes oof, yeah, yeah you're yeah. on to a winner but to get something like that to get all those elements there yeah it's very very difficult what's what's your favorite rom-com god that's again it's really really difficult yeah i mean everybody's going to go back and say when harry met sally because it is it's a classic it's kind yeah. of a classic for a reason mm. and the the talking heads cutaways of the mm. real life couples is really nice because then we funny. get that human connection yeah. and it is genuinely funny yeah. and it's genuinely romantic yeah yeah so that would be yours i think so off the top of my head yeah yeah, yeah. but I, i'd love to see a modern day classic classic being you know there i mean obviously they're classic for a reason but something on telly now or on the cinema did you see i tell you what i found not that it was a romantic comedy but something that i found deeply moving Last year was a film called Past Lives. Oh, do you know it's on my list? Please watch it. Right, okay. I heard I'd heard it's like you'll be bawling by the end. It's like Yeah, I've seen it twice and it had a real guttural effect. Right, okay. I really, really enjoyed it. And the fact that it was first time female director, Mm. everybody in it was astonishing. Wow. There wasn't a wasted beat. Oh, that's always clever. That's always good. Didn't go on too much. It wasn't saccharine in any way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say too much, but I highly okay. recommend it. I highly recommend that for anybody listening as well over the Christmas period. Well, I should check it out, definitely. My You're... favourite rom-com is Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> When do I... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sort of playing, but... No, but I, I think you're being serious as well. Well, I mean, the lengths that Travis goes to for a woman, it's, it's, it's unreal. Rom-coms like, okay, being a mentally unstable... The porn cinema, what a wonderful date. I mean, we've all been on great dates. <laughs> It's memorable, you know. He's a man who makes things memorable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's. When did you first see Taxi Driver? You you were you weren't you weren't old enough to watch Taxi to watch Driver. it when it first came out. No, no. I think it, I think I must have been, must have been when I was at film school, like maybe in my late teens, early twenties. Oh, right. Okay. So you were old enough. Kind of. That's... When it first no, I think it came out in like seventy. Oh no, no, no. Where, how old were you when you first saw oh, it? Oh well, no. That's fine. Yeah, it no. was seventy six when it came when, yes. it, when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the year that I was born. Ah, oh, okay. Oh. I remember a lot of great films came out in seventy. What else came out in seventy six? I think Jaws came out. in Oh, 76, really? Seventy seven. I might be wrong. Someone's googling now, shouting. No, it wasn't. But I think it was around that time. Right. Ah, uh, peaked at you, know, you can't beat seventies movies. I'm a big fan of Paul Schrader. Yeah. He's... I mean. And, and you can't make films like that anymore, I feel. like there's. Um, Do you think people try to? I think the only people that kind of get close to making those, something that feels like that, and it, and it is completely it is different, but something that feels like that are the Safdie brothers. Like, I feel they edge towards that kind of world. Have you seen Daddy Longlegs? No. It's, it's a Safdie brothers film. It's like one of their 
earlier earlier ones. films, yeah. Um, and it's actually one of the inspirations for Rain Dogs, actually. Was it? Yeah, in terms of just the style and the sort of chaos of it that was sort of like a touchstone for me. Well, the chaos was, was captured. Yeah. So um, you spoke before about the certain elements of skin estate now that you look back on and you weren't happy with at the time. And mm. you, but with Rain Dogs, obviously you have complete control over yes. that. Yeah. How did you get the foot in the door? How did that start? So the foot in the door is a mad, mad story. So the book was dead. The book was completely dead because um, the Guardian did this investigation and I just went into hiding. I was just like, this is... Do you mind just explaining about what that investigation was? I remember... <laughs> I mean, we don't have to go totally into no. it because I know it was deeply upsetting. It was It was scary. And actually, looking at it in hindsight, it's kind of exciting because how many people do you know who've been investigated for literary fraud? Like... Two. Who's, who's the other? No. <laughs> <laughs> Who are well, they? You, well, I don't know them, but... And we can always edit this out if I'm incorrect. Do you remember a, a book years ago? I think it was called like, a, was it called A Million Little Pieces? Oh, James Fry. Mm. Yeah, yes. I believe that he was investigated. He actually, I think, I'll edit this out if I'm yeah, any yeah, kind of yeah. here. But I be, I, I'm of the belief that it, it was proven to be false. And in fact, I do have a copy. I think um, it says in the front that it's this this. This is a work of fiction. Right. And I think they they amended it to become a work of fiction. I'll, I'll dig it out and listen. Mm. But, uh, yeah, me and, me and James Fry. But I actually was telling the truth. Yeah, well, we know that now. <laughs> we know that now, but no one knew at the time. Um, it was a really, yeah, it was odd because, so I guess I have to rewind a little bit. I did a play called Refuge Woman, mm. um, which was a satire. It was... Um, I, I build it as like live poverty porn and it was actually talking about journalists was about the way that journalists take a trauma story and uh, uh, sort of misquote and misuse the the woman who they've normally taken that trauma story for yeah. and then present them to the world as a victim and um, I'd, I'd done this oh god I'm actually shaking talking about it because I had never it, spoken about think, it is it because you're thinking about it as well yeah because I'm just thinking about how horrible that time was like mm. I was just this like playwright that no one had heard of like doing you know I'd got some arts council funding I've got funding from I think University of Portland you know what it's like when you're putting on shows on the fringe yeah. like you're starving on yourself because no, you, you can't afford the actors yeah. you get a cheap venue um, and you know I had like funding from Battersea Arts Centre and Camden People's Theatre and but this is small we're talking yeah, like 50-seater. I, I used to live near Cam- Camden People's Theatre. Yeah, you know, I've seen things like it's the tiny little yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, that no one goes to, and you're lucky. You know, you're lucky to fill the space out because no one really hears of it, and it's quite experimental. And that's that's the realm that I was working in, and I was just, you know, I'd, I'd written this play, and we've got some fun, and I had to do like, um, oh, I'm going to use a horrible, um, horrible word that's going to make both of us cringe. Immersive. Oh. <laughs> But I, you, you have to do these things to get the funding. Yeah. And um, so, so, we, so me and the director, Conrad Murray, um, we were like, well, you know, we can't afford to do videos. We'll like do social media. We do videos there. So 
I was doing these videos on social media to promote the play. And suddenly I had 20,000 followers who thought that the play was me. Right, okay. And they go, someone said, oh, that's not her real life. She's playing a character. I'm like, yeah, I am playing a character. And they're like, well, she's a liar. And it came from that. No way. And then suddenly there was all this stuff all over, like, message boards, Cash Carraway's not a real person, um, she's a character, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what? This is like... And then suddenly all the shows were selling out. And okay, s- and so that's a double-edged sword. Well, I mean, that was fine. But then someone had, had bought all the tickets to a performance <laughs> there was no one there. No way. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was just really odd. Like, all these really mad things kept happening. And I, it was around, and I had the book deal for Skinless Day at that time. Right, okay. And then someone was like writing to the publisher saying, she's a liar in this play. How could you trust her to write? Because, and I'm like, but it's a character. It's like, I, I don't, like, it's not, it's not me. I'm not going on stage and doing a speech about my life. Like it's a, it's an actual play, yeah. And um, but it turns out that the person who was behind sort of all of that was an author, and I use the word author with um, inverted commas, yeah. Who was signed to the same publisher as me? <laughs> Holy! Fuck. And the publisher were aware of it, and I kept on saying, "This why is this, why are you letting this woman do it?" But she was sold a lot of books for them, so they were like, "Oh, just shut up, you know, or we'll take your deal away." Like it was it was re- it was horrible. You see, at that moment, and I don't know the publishing world at all, but where do you turn to there? Who do you trust? Because well, you, you would think that people on your side would, would be the publishers. Yeah, no, they, they weren't. They were, you know, this was a best-selling author who was behind all of this. But they, they were the first person who wrote Cash Carraway as a Liar online. Oh, my God. And they were later exposed as, like, a big racist mm. and um, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I felt quite vindicated at the end of that. But and this is the first time I've ever spoken about her. I've never met her. Um. But she got, she basically got the wrong end of the stick about this play that I had put out there and tried to destroy my book deal with it. So because of all that stuff that was online, yeah, that was where the Guardian investigation started from. It just goes to show how that a sentence can just catch fire like that, yeah, especially yeah. when she got the completely wrong end of the stick. Yeah, and I kept saying as well, and, I, and publicly I'd keep on saying, I was like, yeah, well, you're like, oh, your play is a lie. And it's like, yeah, because it's a play. <laughs> it's a work fiction, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, 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 I, and I kept saying, it's a work, you know, it's a piece of art. And they're like, huh, Cash Curry thinks she's an artist. And, it's, and it was like, okay, well, you might think it's shit art, but it's still art. Yeah. Like, allow me to say that. But, yeah. And it was just, I was just, sort of mocked upon like over these like message boards and stuff and like when I like, when I think of it now I think it's great like a genuinely I think it's amazing that this little play that no one actually saw none of the people that wrote about it actually saw it oh but they've oh but they've got an opinion oh they have oh <laughs> they've got big opinions yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's always those people but also they didn't know what it was about they kept saying that it was about um and this sort of isn't entirely their fault because uh, a journalist had put wrong information out there mm. saying that it was about my time spent in a refuge. And, you know, they hadn't seen it either, obviously, because it wasn't about my time spent in a refuge. You know, the character... So, so you know the way... 
um, I wanted to really capture the way that when working class people tell a story, it's always like really embellished and hyperbolic. Like, because I, I, I was really obsessed with those magazines like um, Take a Break yeah. magazine, where you'll have like a ridiculous headline, which it will be, I don't know, um, my husband chopped off my arm with an axe before running off with his mother. Like, so, so really ridiculous. And it was, and this character keeps, as the play goes along, the headlines around her become more and more ridiculous. Right. So, you know, it starts off like really simple, really normal. This is a story about a time I lived in a refuge. And then it's like, then she's lived in 16 refuges and it's become big and it's, you know, it's this, this whole thing. So it was about the way that working class people's lives are made bigger and and faker than what they are. Um, and then... Yeah, then it became that. Like, yeah. it actually became real. Like, this, like pe- the embellishments that I'd said on stage became fact in the real world. Isn't that naughty? I think it's great. Yeah, I, I mean, it's incredible. As a, as did, a, you, did you feel that at the time, having to go on stage every night when all this was going on? Well, did you feel it was incredible? I felt a bit scared because I hadn't been used to any kind of attention. And I, it was, I sort of realised that oh, to be famous would be awful. To have any kind of fame would be a terrible thing. Mm. Um, and I felt scared because I was getting a lot of abuse. But it was quite electrifying in the theatre because also you, what was interesting is that you had half the audience, because like Refuge Woman was a character that I'd been developing for about three years before this show. And I'd go to... I really, like, I love Andy Kaufman. And I used to take this character, Refuge Woman, to comedy clubs. And me and my friend... Um, thought it'd be really funny to take trauma stories and just say them as real in a comedy club. So that's what I was doing with this refuge drumming character. Yeah. But people had got sort of over the years and sort of got to know that that was part of the act type thing. Um, so half the audience were, were in on the joke when, when these shows were selling out, half the audience were in on it and the other half were just like, oh, this is just so sad. <laughs> This is awful. She's so brave on stage, and but they couldn't understand that people were laughing, and they'd be like, and I'd be saying things like outrageous things, like really ridiculous things, and they'd be like, "Oh, sorry." No, sorry. They'd be like, "Oh, thank you for sharing your story." Yeah. Oh, God. And it was, it was, it was, so I was finally really interested. Conrad was loving it, the director, because Mm. he was just like, "I've never seen anything like this. This is, this is wild." And yeah, Um, so yeah, it all came from this sort of satire that people read as true and I think the problem is is when a working class person tells a story especially if it's traumatic that's something I've always played with throughout when, you know the, all the unseen work that, yeah. that went on for like 20 years before Rain Dogs came out was um, playing with the perception of when someone tells a sad story how is it treated and uh, if you're working class it's treated like you're a bit pathetic yeah so, were, you, were you seeing that reflected in certain art forms, like on on the telly, and yeah, radio. I think I must be. I think it must have been around the time where Jeremy Carl was huge, and around the time someone killed themselves. On Jeremy Carl gets killed themselves after. That's right. Yeah, and I think I was I was just obsessed with that, and also I, I do have a chip on my shoulder, and you know, people act like it's a bad thing, you know, because people with chips on their shoulders are normally quite angry and yeah. <laughs> bitter. I know, you know, I don't feel like that, but I do feel sort of, I know, I notice sometimes when I'm treated differently because of my accent or because someone views me in a certain way, like 
so for example, like in England or in the UK, I'm viewed as a working class woman who wrote a book about being poor. Whereas in America, I'm viewed as a serious showrunner of a HBO show. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me, you know. And are the differences significant in how you're treated? Yeah, because yeah. I'll go to, I'll take a meeting over here. And this is happening less and less now because I think like some of the excitement that happened over in America sort of found its way over here. But I would go into meetings and they'd be like, oh, gosh, now wouldn't you just love to make a show about the struggle of the working class? I bet you'd really like that, wouldn't you? And it's like, no, I want to, you know, make a, I want to make something like a Scorsese film. I want to make everything. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, they're like, oh, I bet you're interested in telling working class stories. And it's like, I am interested in telling interesting stories. And a lot of those stories tend to be working class because I spent my life around interesting working class people. So, um yeah, I do. I do want to tell workers, but but to go to meet and have someone really condescending towards you, and that's yeah. That I did. Yeah, I did notice that. That was something yeah. that, that happens, and you know, happens now and again, even now. So, I think it just does. I remember. I remember I'm going back a few, fair few years now. I hmm. um, was sent a script, and it's all set in the northwest of England, which I do get sent quite a lot because you know, right. and, you know, there's incredible, you know, incredible stories. And great writers from the North. Great writers in the North of England. These writers were not from the Northwest of England, but they'd they'd set their series in the Northwest of England, which is absolutely fine. But for funding purposes? I don't know. Right. I don't know. (laughs) But it it had been greenlit. (laughs) Right. And it was just reading the words on these pages. It was quite clear that these two fellas from... Oxford right. had never been to the northwest of England, right? Okay. But have it, which is which is really odd, and it's like, well, I don't totally stand by with write what you know. No, I, think, I don't. I, I don't. Bullshit. I don't. Yeah, I do. I agree. It's a bit of bullshit, but at least do a bit more research if you're yeah. going to immerse yourself in the world. Because you're writing about. I remember I worked with Martin McDonough a few years oh, ago. Did you? Yeah. In a play. Yeah. What on, play was it? It's called Hangman. <gasps> Whoa. I haven't been on stage for uh, since my son was born. Okay, where was that? Was it the Royal Court? Wyndham's. Oh, whoa! Yeah, it was when it. I was out of the country when it f- was first cast, and then it was moving to the West End. And right. Oh, will you will you come and meet and met Martin and Matthew Dunster? The and Matthew Dunster's very. Hang on, is this the most recent production? Um, about, I think it was about six years ago now, I think. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Matthew I can't believe Dun- I missed that. Oh, oh, you would have liked it. Yeah, yeah. You would have really liked it. And uh, Matthew Dunster's the director's very yeah, staunch um, flyer of the working class northern mm. flag, because he's from Oldham. And yeah, very yeah, much yeah. Like but he wants, you know, really strives for theatre to be accessible for yeah. everybody and wants to go, right, I need to get these children that have never heard about Harold Pinter to come and see a Pinter play because I think it's really important. How am I going to do that? Well, if we get this person who's got the chops, they know that person and they can come in and it's just opening the door. Yeah. I'm going off piste a little bit. But when I was talking, because this, the whole play was all set in a pub in, in Oldham. Right. And it was... Like many pubs that I've been to in the northwest of England, it was pretty much exactly like right. it. And certainly with, obviously, heightened theatrical characters in there. 
But characters I've met over the years, in, whether they be in Oldham or Manchester or Blackpool, where I'm right. from, you know, I, I, there were some characters in there that, excuse me, reminded me of characters of, of a pub near where my grandma and granddad used to be in Blackpool. So I said to Martin, um, how long did you sort of spend up in up in Oldham and looking at pubs? And you know, I've never been. Right. Never been to Oldham. And I went, oh, oh, that's the difference then. A great artist, a great writer yes. doesn't yes. actually have to go. That's true. And he's just nailed it. Oh. But it just showed me that, yeah, you know, do your research. But I was quite shocked <laughs> that he'd never been to Oldham. But do you think it's because Martin doesn't, like, I say it like he's my pal, isn't no. <laughs> But, um, like, because he um, doesn't condescend. Like, he's he's not looking, he's looking at finding an interesting story, whereas someone who is, I, I'm not saying that someone who's just a recent gra- Oxford graduate is going to be writing a condescending Northern story, but was that the difference? Um Yes and no. He doesn't condescend, and you're quite right, because you mm. only have to look at all his work. Well, all of his characters are bad. They've all got they've all got ugly inside of them. I think they're all flawed. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. yeah well, sorry, I, yeah. I say bad. I, I meant... No, I know what you mean, yeah. They're, um, yeah, they've all got a darkness to them, and they're, they're like a real authentic honesty, haven't they? Yeah. But going back to what you said about darkness before, one of your baubles has just dropped off your tree. That might have been, that might have been my fault. I'll put that on in a minute. Don't worry. Um... We were talking about darkness before with Martin's work and I think certainly from, I'm not going back to the book, but there's some very dark humour yeah. in your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's people people laugh at the darkness. Well, some people laugh at the darkness. I think there's some people who would take that darkness very literally. Well, as yeah, as we've said before, people do take it a bit literally. Do you think that, that Martin gets that with his work or do you think because he's a man and he's been established for a long time? That, le- that he gets that less so. Because like, I don't think anyone watches a Martin McDonough play or film and then says, oh, oh I feel really sorry for those characters. Yeah, no, I don't do they? think they do. They, go, they be- go, well, that's dark. And well, that's but also I think they're, they're quite shocked. Yes. And I, But I think he aims to shock. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So good. Whether that's on stage. And even when he wrote the Lenan trilogy mm. before he got to the level that he is yeah. now, you know. He's ne- he's always been unrelenting in that darkness, actually, even in his earlier work. Oh, very much it's, so. That's yeah. his style, that's what he does, and you know what you're going to get. I mean, I remember I saw a production of Beauty Queen of Lenan um, a fair few years ago now, and I went a few times to see it, and it was really, really interesting. I've just hit the mic, I'm professional. Um, there, was, there was a group of... of 14, 15-year-old school kids in there from London at one point. And it was like a fucking rock concert. You've never heard anything like it. <gasps> the shocks, the gasp, and even, don't do that. Like they were oh, saying to really? The oh, really? Oh, I no, love no, that. No, no, don't put, oh, God, she's burning the letter. Don't burn the letter. Don't do that. Like there was a commentary with it. Yeah. But it didn't, it didn't upset me. No. It, in fact, it really, it was just, Encourage me to go to the theatre a bit more. I wish that more shows were like that. If you go to any, like a show by a black playwright or with a, like an all-black cast, the audience will be like 
talking the whole way through in a really excited way yeah. and replying to, because I, I spent a lot of time back at the Art Centre, mm. replying to, to what's going on stage. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. But Why should it be stuffy? Exactly. I'm sick of stuffy theatre yeah. and I'm, I'm sick of quite boring Uns, unsafe there's, there's a lot of that yeah there and tv a, as well i think oh there's a lot i'm going to go on to that yeah <laughs> definitely well there is yeah but the door has to be open to be allowed to make risks mm. and make change but also just going back to someone like martin it's like well he don't really give a fuck and he doesn't really like critics uh, no 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 and he's you know he's, he's that's well documented i'm not speaking out of class no, no. I'd like I'd like to meet him actually because his family are from the same part of Ireland as mine. Oh, are they? And it's a pretty inbred um, part of of Ireland. It's Galway. Lettermore is where my family are from. Whereabouts is Connemara? that? Connemara. Connemara. It's okay. in the county of Galway, but it's yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And um, I've been looking into like family trees recently, and a lot of the Folans. So my family name is Folan. Um, married McDonald's, and I know that his family are from the same place. And they came to Campbellwell. And um, you know I'm, what I'm saying is I'm definitely related definitely. Uh, to Martin McDonald. Wow! <laughs> I can't believe but, that came up. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, I mean I, I I don't know if I am, but I'd like I'd like to talk to him and see. I mean, there's got it, to be there got must be a be connection, some sort of connection. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that at all. No, yeah. no, it's 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 not public knowledge, <laughs> um, but it is now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in talking to him to see if if we have any relatives that we. Um, that we know. I definitely think you'd get on. Yeah, oh, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to think so because I love his work. I mean, I really adore his work. Yeah, he's as normal as they can be. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's good he's to know. Fun. Really? Yeah. I'm pleased to hear that. And, you know, yeah, I just admire him. I just think he's, he's just brilliant. So speaking of doors opening, yes. when did the door open for Rain Dogs? Yes. So, um, God, we've gone around the houses of that one, haven't oh, we? Oh, we're, we're going more. We even, we're still on the same street at the moment. <laughs> so the book, the book was dead because of this investigation. Yeah. Um, but, because with art, I think nothing ever dies. Like, there's always a chance for a piece of work that you've done ages ago or, you know, to come back to life. It just happens to fall in the right hands. And this wasn't like a year-long process. This was relatively quick, but I was pretty depressed. I was like, the book's dead. Has, no one's, it hasn't sold any copies. Everyone thinks it's a lie. My life's over. I'm never going to get a deal again. Billy Piper saved the day. Lovely Billy. Mm. Um, she'd read uh, early manuscript and um, she is good friends with Pierce Fenger, who was the head of BBC Drama at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we met for a coffee. She said, oh, I'd love to play you. And I'm like, well, yeah, obviously I'd love Billy Piper to play me. That would be amazing. Because you should always get someone better looking than yourself. To oh, play always, to, always. <laughs> to, to play you. And it's like, well, you know, Billy Piper, secret diver, cool girl, just like a national treasure. Great actor. Ugh. I mean, really brilliant. brilliant actor. What I love about her is that she has no vanity. Yes. And she's so beautiful. But I was like... talking about that the other day. The right. greatest ones have yes. no vanity and they're actually the most beautiful. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah the beauty becomes bigger, doesn't oh, it? Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Overwhelmingly so, yeah. I'm a big fan, really big fan mm, of Billy. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah, she's just great. And... um so I was like, yeah, well, yeah, let's do it. And she's like, and, and obviously you'll write it. And I'm like, yeah, well, if, if they'll let me. She's like, no, no, you, you write it. And then so I met with Pierce Fenger 
and we got on really well and he's and I had to, I'd had no interest from production companies you know every book bloody sells doesn't it yeah my, my book didn't sell not at all not at all no interest oh sorry no, I'm wrong one person sent a message saying that would I be interested in talking to them about the tv rights but nothing really happened like that happened when when the proofs were going out right you know we were like six months on by which is point. usually when all yeah that yeah I know. You, happens, oh, you, it? I mean I get sent um like ideas to turn into tv for sh- that for books that are not even finished yet wow so gosh. so no one no one wanted to get and um I'm quite shocked by that even if it was Somebody terrible who wanted to turn it into a... <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, not even anyone terrible. No. Um, but then Pierce said, um, here's six production companies I'd like to set you up having meetings with. Yeah. And, you know, you can choose who, who makes it. And then me and Billy had a bunch of meetings. You know, we started the process of making a TV show. Um, Which, is, you know, if people don't know... Is a long, long and slow process. Yes. Yeah, These I mean, things do not happen no. in, in a few weeks or a few months. No, no, no. We spent two years working on Skin and Stay, which actually, in terms of TV, isn't that long. No. Sounds long for people yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who are not in this industry, but it's that's that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. And I wrote the screenplay for two episodes you know, as an adaptation of the book. And were we looking at sort of hour-long episodes or...? Uh, no, it was half hours. Half hours. Yeah, it was, it was, it was always going to be um, a half-hour show. Um, no, actually, I think when we first went in, me and Billy were like, oh, three, three hour long. So that's, that's what we were sort of... Me and Billy were working together, three one-hour-long episodes. But we sort of didn't know where it sat, like... What, as in, is it is it comedy drama? Yeah. It, are we going on the super heavy route? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so and, then, and then we were like, oh, maybe it could be slightly looser if it was it was half hour episodes. Anyway, we um, we decided on on to gentle. We started doing that for two years, and then I'd had I'd written two episodes, got paid for those. So I was quite happy because my life had changed. I'd sold the rights because because I had these six companies. I didn't think. Skin Estate was ever going to be made and I was right <laughs> like I um, and I took the highest bidder right because I thought I'm sick of being poor I wouldn't buy a house yeah. and uh, I took the highest bidder rather than thinking about what I actually wanted because I just didn't you know I think it's something like only 5% of books that get bought actually make it to TV I think it's I mean, it might even be less than that I might I might be over exaggerating but so I so I was like well this this isn't going to go to TV so I'll take the money and then, um, but, it was, but we're still hoping and we're still trying to write a good script. Yeah. And then Billy got, I hate Susie, because her and Lucy Preble have been working on that for a while. She dropped out. And I was like, I was unhappy. I was, I was unhappy working on Skin Estate. And I felt quite condescended to. Right. And I felt like it was a bit of a, a Liza Doolittle situation. Yeah. Oh, we've, we've got this poor girl who's written a book and we've, we've given her a chance, a shot at life. <laughs> it, it did feel like that. Yeah, of course. And I sort of took that opportunity to escape when Billy did. And... And also take control. Well, yeah, to, yeah, because... I, because to a certain extent. Yeah, I was a little bit scared because of the whole Guardian thing. And then I just thought, actually, my life's really nice now because I, I do actually work in TV now. Like, yeah. You know, like, and although I haven't had, at that point haven't had anything on TV, I was like, well, I think 
I don't want this to be the first thing I put on TV. And I'd been having lots of meetings with other production companies and um, the HBO. Yeah. And I'd said to them, I don't think this Guinness steak thing's going to go. And they were like, what, what do you want to do? I said, well, I've got this idea, Rain Dogs. <laughs> and BBC were a bit like, mm, well, like, we've got this, you know, we, we think this sad show for drama and now you're talking to HBO comedy. This isn't quite like, well, did not be HBO comedy and BBC drama, very different places. And I somehow managed to convince them. They said that if I got Daisy May Cooper, then they'd green light it. So they'd green light Rain Dogs. However... This is really messed up. The announcement came out as Skinner State. I, I, I actually remember when that that announcement came out. Yeah, yeah. And that they they said cash. It was supposed to come out as Cash Caraway Untitled Project. That's what it was supposed to be. And I wasn't and I, I wasn't going to say anything about the project because Rain Dogs was only like an idea at this point. Well, I mean, it was more than an idea, but not enough to put out into yeah. the public. And I was just like, "Why? <laughs> why are you saying it's? Why are you saying it's skin estate?" And I sort of never the show never recovered from that because when Rain Dogs was announced, that's a separate show. Journalists kept saying it's skin estate, mm. and. The publicist on the HBO side is on the American side. It's like this is not Skin Estate, but the publicist for Sid Gentle was saying that it was, and they had told the actors that they were making, uh, they were filming an adaptation of Skin Estate. No, yeah, it was really strange. And I understand there might have been a little bit of confusion because I jumped from one project to the next. But... Well, it, it sounds like somebody sort of royally messed up there. I think it's incompetence rather than malice. Yeah. And, I, and I think that when that when something that happens like that and you're like, why is no one doing their job properly? I think it's because there's a lot of people in TV who are so comfortable in their position because they got there because Daddy created a TV show in the 60s or whatever or they went to the right boarding school and they just sort of sail on through and yeah. they don't actually have necessarily have a passion for creating something great. Or an artistic bar in the body. Sometimes. Well, there's, yeah, there's that. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing because I think you need, I think there needs to be a balance between ideas people and money people because, you know, money is not my strong point, but I could certainly come up with a good TV show. No, but sometimes the, uh, sometimes the ideas people shouldn't be in that job because they don't think with creative thoughts like that. Yes. But therefore, they should be on the other side. Yes, yes, yeah. But through one thing and another, they're there. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, and I should, I would like to say, like, Skin Estate, most, for, for like half, 50% of the book, it's about a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. And then it's like in a whirlwind of, like, early childhood and infant, infanthood and, and madness. But never... In Rain Dogs, is there a pregnant mother no. <laughs> working in a peep show? <laughs> but people who hadn't read Skin Estate, journalists who hadn't read Skin Estate, 
just went with that. They were just like, oh, it's because it's about a single mum. It must be the same thing. Oh, and so frustrating for you. It was a bit frustrating, but also it's like, what can you do? You know, it's not it's not a big deal at the end of the day. But what I found really frustrating was um, meeting the actors for the first time. And they're like, um, oh, I read your book. And I'm like, oh, God. And they're like, a bit like when I came out of your house this morning. Oh, you haven't read it, have you? Damn. Oh, you've only got a fucking coffee. And they're like, what about this? And does this relate to this? Because it's not in the script, but is this? And I'm like, it's a completely different project. And they're like, what? Oh, I was told I was told that, that it was skin that stayed, but, so, you know, a few things have changed. Mm. So I was just like... So, so I was frustrated the whole time we were making Ray Dogs and the whole time doing publicity for it and the, like, year since. Constant reconnection. Constantly saying, by the way, it's that, because actually what's really terrifying is that Rain Dogs is about a woman who's sexually abused by her mum and doesn't know how to live because of it and all the subtle things. She doesn't really know how to go about her life. Like, she takes her child, I'm not saying she's a bad mum, she takes her child to live in a stranger's house. She sleeps in a car. She sleeps in a laundrette. She does all of these things because she doesn't know how to be because she's traumatised. Now, I wasn't sexually abused by my mum. My mum is a awful woman. <laughs> she's a horrible woman. But in fairness to her, in all fairness, she's never, ever sexually abused me. <laughs> And, and I kept saying that, like, in interviews. I was like, you can't print that it's skin estate because it's about the sexually abused woman. And, you know, you can't say it's autobiographical, no. semi-autobiographical. And that's the thing that kept getting used. So they'd take out that it was skin estate and they'd put autobiographical. And it's like, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, what we were talking about before about a certain person's angle, that seems like it's an angle yeah, to it do is that. An and angle, because of your last project being skin estate and now this yes. being... And it's in the same wheelhouse. I get it. Like, like it's there's there's similarities and crossovers. And you know, the, the thing that got me is like, it's not a show about poverty. Like Skin Estate, there was a show about poverty. Yeah, and that's why I didn't want to make it because it's boring. Yeah, Rain Dogs, and that's gone. And that's I mean, gone. It's done. It's done. Yeah. It got it got rejected by me. It got rejected by Billy. The, the network said, "Don't do it." Like it was dead. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. We were talking about the fact that... Oh, if, it, if it's interesting, it will come back to me. It will come back. But is it that sense? That's like I wasn't listening then, but I was just no, thinking you about, were, I was you just were. Thinking about that, the men was gone. But it, that, that poverty side isn't, oh, that was isn't the poverty Sorry, show. The, the story with Skinner State, it's, it's definitely clearly defined by poverty. Whereas Rain Dogs, it's actually about a toxic family, a toxic relationship. And sure, it's set within the world of poverty, but... And, and she, this is, you know, it's a, there's a character in it that really struggles. But there's also a character in it, probably the better written character, Selby, who doesn't struggle at all. No. You know? And to say it's a show about poverty while you've got that clear juxtaposition, I think it just feels, as you say, like an angle. And it feels dirty to me. Like it doesn't, it's, it, it, it doesn't feel right. It just feels like a miss sell. Yeah. And I think that's why Rain Dogs did better in America than it did in England. Well, I was going to talk to you about that. How did you feel about it being received in the States? Or was that something you didn't think about? Did you think about how it would be received here and there? Or you just didn't think about it? That wasn't part of your job? To... Well, I, I told myself I wasn't going to read any reviews. Do you read reviews? We all tell ourselves, <laughs> Um I, Very rarely. Oh, right, okay. Very rarely. I don't... On, on the few occasions that I do theatre, um, I don't 
And that's because, scary with theatre because obviously you have the open and night reviews and then you've got to do a run, right? Well, yeah, because then, you know, I don't want, I don't want to read something that would scupper a performance. Exactly. Whether that's, oh my God, what's going on? This is terrible. Or I love that. There's nothing worse. And this happens when filming as well. Nothing worse than someone coming up to you and you're not finished the scene yet. And yeah. they go, that little moment that you do there is amazing. Oh, and then you, and you play go, it up. Or you just go, or you question what you were doing. Yeah, and you go, yeah. What, what, what was I doing? And, and subconsciously, or actually consciously, you're trying to recreate what you've just been told yeah. is a little bit of, that, that's magical. That You don't know what it was because it happened in the moment. It was yes. purely organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because you're not thinking about it too much, you're just listening and you're being in the moment, it will just take care of itself. If the If the, the homework's been done... It's fine, but the worst thing is for someone to say that. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I so tend don't. not to, no. What, what about TV reviews? Because, I mean, that's done and dusted. There's nothing you can do. Or does it? do you worry about sort of just feeling crap for just all of it? No, I, I do, yeah, I would read TV reviews, especially um, if it's something I really, really enjoyed and it really meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um. Because nine times out of ten, there's a great. I'm working with a great ensemble, and I want to know if the great time that we had translates. Trans- yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I never, I would never really get upset about it. If, no, if if it's if a, a television review was, no. was being particularly spiky. Well, I, I'd said I wasn't going to read them. And yeah, then... but in the se- sorry to interrupt, but in the same sense, it's done. You yes, can, there's nothing you could do. You can't yes, change it exactly. But maybe, maybe as a writer, you'd be able to learn more. Well, I was just I, the reason I wasn't going to read, and I, and, I, and I read every one of them, by the way. But the reason I wasn't going to is because I just like I didn't think my fragile ego could deal with it. Right. I, I, just, I was just thinking, oh, if, if someone says the writing's bad, it's all like that's like all I've got. <laughs> Like, right, yeah. Like, if, if someone says I'm a bad writer, then I'm fucked. Um, luckily, they didn't. So it was not. And, and the reason that I read them, um, Charlie, who you met, who uh, I'm writing some stuff with now, he um, was script editor, right, on the Rain Dogs. And that to, to call him a script editor really does him a disservice because he was a story producer. Because I didn't have a writer's room on Rain Dogs. Were you asked if you wanted one? I mean, I asked for one about 50 times. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought they were gonna, you were going to say, yeah, they kind of pushed it on me and I didn't really want to do that, but it was quite the opposite. Oh, yeah, I wanted to write. So because I, I, I mean, I, I like to be the lead writer. I, I would have written all of the episodes. Yeah. But I wanted some someone to say, yes, that is a good idea, Cash. You are very clever. Well done. But that's, that, that, that's what I wanted in that situation. And, like, working in writers' rooms, I wouldn't... I wouldn't expect that sort of pat on the back now like, yeah but that's it's not even just a pat on the back is it it's support it's support and it's you're in the process yeah. which i think is really important and someone coming up with a better idea than you which is always great that's what you're also building yes you know the foundations are laid and then someone's coming in and going yeah but what about that and you go great well i haven't thought about that because it's the that's the same thing from my point of view as an actor if i go into a scene having done my homework and i've got certain thoughts about how I feel my character needs to take this scene. And then it only takes what's going on with the other actor in the scene to turn it on its head. And then the layer again of a great director going, yeah, but what about if yes. you... And you go, oh, 
That's amazing. Exactly. I hadn't thought of that and it just changes yes. it completely. So again, it's about support, I albeit totally, from different angles. Yes, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Totally. But the thing with Rain Dogs is that because um, HBO needed to move quick and Daisy had like, she had like a very tight schedule to, to film in, um, and then getting this like great cast in, and we had Daisy, with Jack, Ron Kay, who I just adore, um, and then Adrian. I mean, it was an board. exceptional cast. It was unbelievable. A, a, a lot of people I hadn't even seen before. Right. Jack, especially, I, d- I didn't know where he. I, I hadn't. At all, I hadn't seen it because it was incredible. Well, he was like a lead in Poldark for years. I've never seen Poldark. Never seen Poldark. I'd seen him in Spencer, and I thought he was really great in that. Um, I thought he was brilliant in that actually, and I'd seen him in Lost Daughter, but he has a very small part in that. Right. Um, but what I, and and he does have a supporting role in um, Spencer as well. But what I knew from seeing those is that I wanted to see more of him. But you know, they wanted to cast someone else. I had to fight for Jack. Like I really, when I saw his tape, as I said, I hadn't really known much of his stuff, but I saw his audition tape, and I was like, "That's that's him. That's Selby. That's that's the guy." And BBC wanted a, to attach. A very big name, which probably would have made it a bigger show, both because it's, it's someone who's a household name in the UK and in the US. Right. So it would have made the show probably a lot more successful, but I don't think they would have been able to carry it in the same way. But you had that power to stand up and fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, for a bit of casting. Yeah. You hear so many times where people go, well, yeah, you know. And I hear on the grapevine, well, I actually wanted so and so, but they wouldn't allow I, it. They wouldn't allow it. Yeah. But nobody knows the character better than you. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a creation. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and you know, HBO were like really not on board with that. And but also, don't don't get me wrong, HBO also did get the final say. <laughs> like they are the network, and I was yeah, working they, for the network. But they also have a history of. Um, Creative freedom, you know. They do trust writers. They do trust writers, as is evident from historic... When you see... Whenever I see that it's a HBO show or I hear that... Yeah, I hear that. (laughs) There's trust there as an an audience member. I think this is going to... It's premium. It's premium, yes. Whether it's drama, whether it's comedy, and it's going to push the boundaries because we know that the creators are being given that freedom as well as that support. Yeah, yeah. no, they, they were great. I love, I mean, the dream was always to was to work with HBO and I thought that would be something that I'd get, like, later. Down the line, yeah. So it's downhill from here. No, it is. <laughs> it's downhill. But isn't it everybody's dream, you know? Yeah, everyone Everybody's to. dream. Have you ever done a HBO show? No, 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 I'm UK, UK. Right, right. Yeah. Well, they do, I mean, they do do quite a few. Yeah, no, no, I know they do, but no, I haven't. Well, it's still time. But my 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 friend, a few friends of mine has, and they've they've had lovely time working yeah, with them. Yeah. But talking about, just talking about casting them for a second, and quite right that you fought for Jack because it was an incredible performance. It was, yeah, he's every... just been nominated for Independent Film Spirit Award, you know, and we, like, we, had, we were nominated for a Gotham Award. Yes, like, no, I did uh, read, yeah. Yeah, a few, a few weeks ago and I went to, went out there on my own, like a little Billy No Mates. Oh, was that? <laughs> it was, it was interesting. It was, yeah, I'd never done like a red carpet before, so that was, that was really odd, but I was sat on the same table as the Safdie Brothers. Were you now? Yeah, and I was shitting it. I was like, like, because I was a big fan. Yeah, of course. Huge fan. 
And I was there on my own, like no one else from the HBO, no one else from, um, from, from the production at all. So it's just me. And that's like weird, isn't it? Going I mean, to the awards ceremony road. I think it's hard enough going to awards ceremonies full stop yes. or, or industry. I find them a little bit easier now. But right. when I was starting out, like when I started out doing telly in like late 20s, um, I and I probably had a huge chip on my shoulder as well. Right. But right. I would probably become a little bit more northern. Oh, right, yes. Because I was, it's quite clear yeah. that I shouldn't be here. Yeah, I do so that as well. I will be a little Start bit Start talking more, like that. Yeah, bit, lovely yeah, to it, meet you. Yeah, but do you know what? It was just protection. Yeah, of course. So of, of course, course that's so all it was. Is it like a little bit of pride in who you are as well? It's like, I shouldn't be here. But I am. But I am here. Just so you know, I'm from the gutter. <laughs> but I'm here with you people who had every opportunity. So, yeah, I think there's a bit of bit of that. So, yeah, I was talking a very Cockney accent walking around the Gotham Awards. Strong penge. <laughs> it was strong It was penge. premium penge. It was through. premium penge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone could actually... Un- I think I was speaking in such a strong penge accent that no one could actually understand what I was saying. They just nodded and smiled. <laughs> Which is good. I was talking shit. But, you know, it was, it, it was, it was weird. And... Um, to be on the table with like these people who are like fucking hell, like because they'd, they'd been nominated for a show in the same category, but in the, the forty minute plus forty minute, I was less than forty minute because Rain Dogs is only like twenty five minute episodes. But I was like, are these my peers? Like they are. They and are. That is yeah. weird. Yeah. Like I'm sat at a table with these people that I admire greatly, and we're in the same category. We're both HBO shows, and that was yeah, that was a very strange moment quite literally in the room you're in, in the, the room. room yeah and then there's like De Niro over to that side and there's like Greta Gerwig over there and literally everyone in Hollywood just like mingling wow um, but I was yeah, completely shy and you know there were so many people I was like right I'm gonna go talk to that person I'm gonna talk to that person and then you know, in the end I was just like you know I'm just gonna just gonna go home no <laughs> no let's not spoil the night yeah exactly I'd be too, yeah I'd yeah be yeah too nervous. exactly yeah so just just went home but um, I can't remember what we were talking about. I was asking about casting, which was oh, yes. a brilliant yeah. jack oh, was the fact that amazing. you fought for him. But on the other, the flip side of the coin, the deal was that you had to have Daisy May Cooper yes. as your lead. Yes. Now, had you had you thought about a, a, a person for that lead? Because it's if you'd have been, and she did a brilliant job, yeah, she did a great she's job. Because I yeah, do yeah. think she's a, such a, a brilliant comedic actress as she is. Mm. I think she's got real heart and depth yeah. of, a, of, of an actor full stop. I don't really like comedy actors, dramatic actors. Like, you're an actor full stop. And if you can nail yeah. comedy, you're going to be all right with drama. That's just what I think, because I think comedy is really, really difficult yeah. to get right. Uh, yeah, I, my, when I was writing her, I thought of... Um, what's her name? Oh, you don't have to say. Hey, no, she's great. I'm saying it in a, in a good way. Um, Hayley, um, oh, my mind's gone blank. Uh, from Daniel, oh, Daniel Blake. She was in... Hayley Squires. Hayley Squires, yes. She's been on this very podcast. Oh, yes. I think, yeah, I've listened to it. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. She's incredible. Yeah, I think she's great. And I, I wouldn't... Um, so, so I'd written Costello as someone quite glamorous, actually. Um, and sort of... What sort of more sort of free like i think i think daisy played it brilliantly yes yeah. but it 
it wasn't what I expected. Yeah. But I think it's, I think that's religion. Well, like, isn't that quite exciting for, I think for a writer? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like um, when you hear that Jimmy McGovern story about when he cast uh, Robbie Coltrane in Cracker. Yeah. And he'd expect, he, he'd wanted a bald, thin man. It's like, but could you expect, could you like see Cracker without Robbie Coltrane? Like it's, it's I couldn't, I don't, I don't know what, who that actor was that he was picturing. As he was doing, Daisy was perfect. Yeah. Because Costello worked so well. And there'd been no chemistry reads or anything. Like it, they'd. Sometimes it just, you just don't <laughs> need it. We were very lucky. But because the, they were so good, I think. Because yeah. all of the actors are of a very strong caliber. Like they just they became this family. They became this weird family. Now, you talked about standing up there for Jack because as soon as you saw that audition on the table, whatever, you saw Selby and he mm. was there, flesh. Yeah. How would it have been for you if you'd have been pushed pushed on for someone to play Costello who said, this is who we need and you've got a green light and you just went, I just, I can't fight for this. I don't agree with it. I, I, would, mean, I would have stood up and said what I, oh, would you? what I wanted, yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean I would have got it, right? No. But, yeah, I, mean, I think you should always fight for your show. You should always, if you've taken the time to create something. And also, I think, like, a lot of networks will listen. To, unless unless you're creating a vehicle for someone, there's not generally, especially um, if there's a reason. You, I mean, you know, you've got to speak and you've got to have a reason. If yeah. you're gonna, if you're going to war, make sure you've got all your tools, you know, to back up yeah. the fight. <laughs> you know what? I don't. The Rain Dogs was a war. That making Rain Dogs was a complete war. It was. It was very fraught, and I think that's why the show is so insane. So, so I think it worked. It worked to my advantage because having to constantly speak up and say I'm not happy with that and I, like, I remember one day getting the rushes through and being like no 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 this this is not the show this is absolutely not the show and then we did like reshoots and stuff so like I, I think actually like if, if you're a creator and you're speaking out I think it shows that you know the show well like you're not being an arsehole and I think no. there are people that will go oh well she's a bit up herself like why who's she to or she's tricky which I hate I oh. hate the word I hate oh, it so much yeah 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 because I'm constantly, I tell sort of younger actors who ever sort of message me or I talk to them at drama school, I said, always ask questions. Yeah. Always. And not just about, oh, what, what are they doing? What's what they did? Know the crew and all that. But always ask questions. Yeah, you should. About the script. Yeah, oh, totally. Writers be, love that. <laughs> like, know, it's the best what, thing to be. Yeah. Writers love it. Sometimes other people don't like it because it's like sometimes the writer isn't there all the right. time. So producers don't like but it? I think sometimes producers don't like because they just want to get on with it. Yeah. Sometimes. Not that they don't care, but I would hate anybody to be perceived at an it sticks in my throat, as to be tricky. Have you ever been? Yes, yeah. I, th- I believe so. Well, that's good, I think. But it I think you sometimes can. I went around about things in a a bit of a bull in a china shop way. There's a real difference to... But I think that's part of... I think I was just immature. Immature. But, there, but isn't there a difference between being rude and actually being firm in your ideas? Yes, absolutely. And I think if... If you're raising a question, you have to raise it for a reason, which is why I was saying you have to back it up. But sometimes you you don't need to back down. No. You can't back down. No. I mean, like, as long as everyone around you can see you're not being an asshole, you want to get it right. But you, you would hate to be perceived as a, as as an asshole or someone that was that was trying to be tricky. For for your own sake, but I think that depends on who's doing the perceiving. Like, 
if it's someone I respect doing the perceiving, then that's a concern. Yeah. But if it's someone who's who I think if I'm fighting an idea that I don't think is very good, then their perception of me is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think there's 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 a lot of expectation that especially working class women, I think, to be polite. And you know, I shouldn't be grateful to be doing this job. I'm actually good at it. And that's not arrogant to say it. I know I can do it because I've, I've, the product is there. I, I, I can do it. So it's it's other people's um, prejudice that's sort, sort of getting in the way. And I, that's not none of my business. They, if they're prejudiced and they think I'm tricky, then fine. But do you get a good show? Yes. So what's the problem? <laughs> I was so silent there because I was really listening because it's so fantastic to hear you say that, but to hear people say that. Yeah. Because sure. you have to care and you have oh. to know your worth. Yes, yeah. And go, well, I know what I'm doing and I really care about it. Yeah. And look, the product, the end product will be very, very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, I think what we were saying earlier about there being a lot of people in TV who don't actually care and they're just about competent or if that mm. and they're they're in it for the going to the BAFTAs once a year they want to wear a fancy dress yeah you know they don't actually care about being good and that, I want to be good I'd rather not go to any awards I'd rather not get, get nominated for any awards and then just be like a, a group of people say that's good and I really enjoy that yeah I mean it'd be quite nice not to go to awards but sadly you've been nominated for a BAFTA breakthrough. Oh, yeah, that's you? nice. That is which nice. Is, which is incredible. And, I, and that's one of the reasons when I was thinking about you and you agreed to do this, and I was re-listening to Skin to Stay, and then I was doing a bit more reading, and I went, we're not going to talk about this. This isn't what it's all about Oh, now. good. What good. it's all about is leading up to this, which is this incredible nomination, because people will look at it and go, oh, wait a minute, that's just on the success of Rain Dogs. But it's it's been 20 years of leading up to this. Yeah, that, that's annoying, actually. And I think that happens to all artists, isn't it? It's like everyone just thinks you've appeared out of nowhere because it does look like that. It's like, oh, this this person's suddenly mm. there. But they don't see all the failures along the way, all, all the humiliation. And I think... Yeah. I think and the rejection. Oh, all of... Yeah, and that's awful. And then so you get this one little moment and people are like, hmm, who are they? They've done one thing. Who cares? But again... That's there. Yes. Prejudices. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you could do. No, no. And the, the people who've who've like had BAFTA breakthrough before, like you look through it and you're like, my God. Yeah. These people are great. Yeah. Like, and even the people that are like this year, like Charlotte Reagan. I mean, have you seen Scrapper? Yeah, I love Scrapper. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I think she's great. And also, actually, the, re- the, the first things I ever saw her do were the Neil Maskell yes. shorts. Yes, yeah, Because yeah. I made a film with... Um, a short with Neil. Yeah, 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 which got banned. Well, yeah, I know. I was, <laughs> uh, sadly, I can't say that. But... I, I'll send you. I'll, oh, I'll really? Oh, I can't yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, because I was supposed to have Charlotte on here. Oh, really? Uh, and we just couldn't make dates. Oh. She was Scrapper. She's too popular. Scrapper had been released and we had a tiny, tiny window between my film and then she was about to go into pre-production. Uh, we just couldn't do it. What a shame. But, you know, you can't chat to everybody. No, I would have loved to have heard that. Yeah, I know, me too. Yeah, she's she's very special. And people like Bella Ramsey and they're just like great people just on this list and, you know, people that have been on there before. Like, oh my God. How did that happen? 
So it's well, you know how it happened. Hard work. Yeah, it's it's hard work, but lots of people work very hard and and don't get that. That's you know? true. So it's 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 nice, but it's not the reason to create. Like it's nice to get like acknowledgements along the way and makes you feel proud for a moment. But actually, the purpose of it isn't for that. No, but it is. It's gonna. It is going to help. Yes. I mean, get to keep getting up yes. the, the rungs of the ladder, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. It just, yeah. it is going to help it, and it's going to get your work seen by other people. Yeah, and, and what, what's actually really interesting is, like, with BAFTA, is the the whole breakthrough thing is, I don't, I didn't grow up knowing anyone in TV. I didn't grow up knowing anyone in publishing or any kind of media. Like that, that's just not the world that I was from. And to actually have access to people. To contacts and networking. That's I mean because that's what BAFTA is, isn't it? It's about yeah. connecting yeah. an industry together. So, I mean, how brilliant is that to be part of something? To to not be like, oh, I don't, I don't know how, who to give this script to, and I don't know who to, you know, because because that, that was why it took so long to get to doing Rain Dogs, because I'd be sending out stuff blindly. You know, I didn't know anyone. So um, yeah, ba- yeah, it's great. BAFTA breakthrough is very cool. <laughs> it's the only time during this that you've slightly clammed yeah, up. Yeah, I just realised I've got like, yeah. Um, but I want to say massive congratulations. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, when I when I did when I saw your name and Charlotte's name actually, I was I was really chuffed, and I don't know either of you, and I just oh. thought, you know you're making work that sort of speaks to me, and I think That's it's nice. really important that um, uh, it's an open shop. And, yes, and it, it kind of should be an open playing field. Yeah, and you know, it, cliche, but you know, the cream rises to the top, doesn't it? So that's really good news. Yeah, it just takes a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, it does. I wish that I'd got this kind. Of, I wish I'd got, had some kind of success when I was like younger and more attractive. I feel like I could have like really like gone for it a lot more. But I feel like a middle aged woman. It's like, ah, oh, damn, I passed my prime. Do you know what no, I mean? I, not I, in terms I, of work. But no, just, not in terms of work. Just like I just feel like I've lost some of the enjoyment because because. When you get to like 43, you're somewhat sort of jaded about the world and you sort of know how things work and you know how... Yeah, but, you know, with more knowledge, maybe more power. Yeah, I yeah, mean, of course. I'm pleased that I didn't have, like, success in my 20s. Right. Because I wouldn't have been mature enough you would have just blown it. Handle it. it. Right. Well, I probably I would have probably said the wrong thing. I, I not that I was a selfish little prick because I wasn't, but maybe I was still. We talked about you know being a bit chippy before. Right. Maybe I would have been a little bit more gobby. Yeah. And probably upset a few more people, and that's not. Yeah. Good. How old were you when you got success? Well, I mean, I don't really know what that means, successful. But I suppose, well, when you I suppose it. once I started being on the telly a bit more. Yeah. Um. No, I don't know. I think I, I like to feel with the mistakes that I've made in the past, I'm in a good place to receive what's coming now. Do you know? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, also. So I don't think, I wouldn't think, oh God, I'd love to go back to that time, but still have quote unquote success now. Yeah, yeah. I feel it's in a nice place and I think that's what I think. You're comfortable you, with your position. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that, but I think that's where, you, I'm not telling you what to do, but I think that's where you should be now because I think yeah. it's fantastic that it's happened now. Yeah, well, I mean, everything happens when it's supposed to happen, right? Yeah. I, I guess. 
So um, I'm, and I'm very happy. I have a very nice life and I get to write and create stuff. So, yeah, what, what more could I ask for, really? Cass Carolly, thank you so oh. much. This <laughs> thank has you. been brilliant. It's been lovely. Thank you for having me. So, so welcome. And another episode is done. The penultimate episode is done. I'm so pleased you enjoyed it. It was a really, really good meeting, a really good first meeting. Um, again, with Joe Wilkinson, it's like, yeah, this is this is why I started it, to have these type of conversations that we just don't have and you don't read about and it's not guests that you have on everybody else's podcast we, we we work really we work really really hard um to to get the guests that other people don't have so you have conversations and you're hearing again and again and again um okay well look have a lovely lovely christmas i know sometimes christmas can feel stressful lonely a bit sad um, I hope it isn't for you this year. I hope we can, you know, pull together and try and have a nice, peaceful time. But you're thinking now, Craig, there's one more episode, the final episode, the 1st of January. New Year's Day, new beginnings, new starts, the end of the Two Shot Podcast. I'll meet you back here. 1st of January, and I'm going to be recording from the beach on New Year's Day. So look, do what you need to do to enjoy or survive Christmas, um, and I'll see you on New Year's Day, okay? Lots and lots of love. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the penultimate Two Shot Podcast. I'll see you on the 1st of Jan, 24. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson. Recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers.